Sometimes the sweetest things in life come in the smallest of packages or in the smallest of sizes. And tonight, that includes today's episode. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's pretty late for this recording, and I'm going to keep it short and concise. We only have two stories today, and my advice is going to be kept to a minimum. But nevertheless, I hope you enjoy the podcast. This is a podcast hosted none other than by me, Kevin Hobie. And today we will be diving into two stories of news that has been going on today. The first story that we're going to look into is about uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren um, and her, I guess, decision to drop out of the nomination for president uh, for the Democratic bid. Unfortunately, uh, she wasn't getting the delegates that she needed, and she's decided to drop out of the race. Our second piece of news um, is also a political piece of news. It's about Javier Perez de Cuera, um, a U- United Nations Secretary General um, who just passed away. Um, and we're recognizing him today as well because he is uh, a Peruvian national, um, which if you know anything about me, uh, I am half Peruvian. So uh, I found this story extremely interesting and I wanted to share a little bit about his life with you today. So with that, We're going to head into the podcast. As always, I'm your boy, Kevin, and you are listening to A Mention with Kevin. Let's dive into our first episode. Uh, First, uh, sorry our first story. Uh, Today is, of course, episode 47, and you are listening on March 5th, 2020. Calling it the honor of a lifetime, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren said today she is ending her bid for the Democratic nomination of president. Warren, who electrified progressives with her plan for everything and strong messages of economic populism, confirmed earlier that her campaign st- to her campaign staff she would depart from the race. Speaking to reporters outside of her home in Cambridge, Massachusetts, said she would continue fighting in her current capacity for everyday Americans who have gotten the short end of the stick. There are still tens of millions of people across the country who, one, have bad medical diagnoses and they're upside down financially. There are still mamas and daddies all across the country who can't finish their education, can't take on jobs because they can't find access to decent childcare that they can afford, said Warren, standing beside her husband, Bruce Mann. For much of the, of the past year, her campaign had all the makings of success, robust poll numbers, impressive fundraising, and a sprawling political infrastructure that featured staffers on the ground across the country. She was squeezed out, though, by Bernie Sanders, who had an immovable base of voters she needed to advance. I refuse to let disappointment bind me, or you, to what we've accomplished, Warren told her campaign staff on a conference call. We didn't reach our goal, but what we have done together, what we have done, has made a lasting difference. It's not the scale of the difference we wanted to make, but it still matters. 
Warren never finished higher than third in the first four states and was routed on Super Tuesday, uh, failing to win any of the 14 states voting and placing an embarrassing third place in her home state behind former Vice President Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Members of the Biden and Sanders campaign confirmed Thursday that Warren had reached out to them, but there were no further details on that front from Warren herself. Let's take a deep breath and spend a little time on that, she told reporters. We don't have to decide this minute. Warren, who is 70 years old, entered the race on February 9, 2019, in her native Massachusetts, but wasn't able to translate some strong debate performances into delegates. Her polling began improving through the summer, and she appeared to further hit her stride as she hammered the idea that more moderate Democratic candidates, including Biden, weren't ambiguous enough to roll back harmful policies of Donald Trump's administration. Warren's exit from the race followed Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar's departure the last past week leaves the Democratic field with just one female candidate. Hawaii's Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, who has collected only one delegate towards the nomination. It was an unexpected twist for a party that had used the votes and energy of women to retake control of the House of Representatives. Warren said she appreciated it, uh, it was going to be hard for many women to, see a fe- uh, to not see a female uh, become president for another four years. Warren had a compelling message calling for a structural change to the American political system to reorder the national economy in the name of fairness in participating targeting Wall Street and Silicon Valley giants over their enormous influence and power. She had a signature populist proposal for a 2% wealth tax she wanted to impose on households worth more than 50 million U.S. dollars that prompted chants of two cents, two cents at rallies across the country. I'm not somebody who is just looking at myself in the mirror since I was 12 years old. Uh, I'm not somebody who has been looking at myself in the mirror since I was 12 years old saying you should run for president, Warren said abroad her campaign bus on the eve of the New New Hampshire primary. I started running for office later than anybody is in this. So it has never been about the office. It has been about what we can do to repair our economy, what we can do to mend democracy that's being pulled apart. That's what I want to see, and I just want to see it happen. Warren's poll numbers began to slip after a series of debates when she repeatedly refused to answer direct questions if she'd have to raise taxes on the middle class to pay for Medicare for all. Her top advisors were slow to catch on that not providing more details looked to voters like a major oversight for a candidate who proudly had so many other policies planned. When Warren finally moved to correct the problem, her support eroded further. She moved away from a full endorsement of Medicare for All, announcing that she'd work with Congress to transition the country to the program over three years. In the meantime, she said, many Americans could choose to remain with their current plan, private health care insurance plans, which most people have through their employers. Biden's and Biden and other rivals pounced, calling Warren a flip-flopper, and her standing with progressives sagged. Warren got a foil for all her opposition to powerful billionaires when former New York Mayor Mike Bloomberg entered the race. 
during a debate in Las Vegas just before Nevada's caucus, Warren hammered Bloomberg, and the mayor's lackluster response touched off events that ended with him leaving the race on Wednesday. For Warren, that led to a sharp rise in fundraising, but didn't translate to electoral success. Born in Oklahoma to church-going Methodist family, the former Harvard law professor was registered as a Republican until changing affiliations in 1996. Warren raised her national profile with appearances as a personal finance expert on Dr. Phil beginning in 2003. She was soon taped by Democratic leader and tapped uh, by Democratic leadership and the Barack Obama administration, serving on the congressional panel evaluating government bailout programs and then serving in the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Encouraged to run to, into office in November 2012, she toppled Scott Brown, the Massachusetts senator, once thought to be the rising star in the Republican Party. Warren said that she he was uh, she was a formidable candidate with no said she was a formidable candidate with no regrets. Ten years ago, I was teaching a few blocks from here and talking about what what broken what was broken in America and ideas of how to fix it, and pretty much nobody wanted to hear it. I've had a chance to get out there and talk to millions of people, and we have ideas now that we can talk about that just weren't being talked about a year ago. Leaving the scrum with her husband as well as her golden retriever, Bailey, she was met with boisterous applause from supporters. So very interesting um, on this front, Elizabeth Warren finally dropping out of the race after seeing her delegates. I believe she only got to 68 delegates, um, trailing behind I, I believe Biden is 560 and Bernie Sanders is at 518 or approximately those numbers right now. So it's really neck and neck with Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. Um, and so I, she figured that there's no way that she can come out um, stronger in this race. And she's decided to throw in the towel, essentially. I did like a lot of what Elizabeth Warren uh, kind of researching her uh, previous to this finding out that she taught law at Harvard, um, that she actually wanted to change the institution and had a lot of ideas in terms of how to change um, different procedures such as gerrymandering and um, how the representative houses um, should be formed. Um, Puerto Rico and other territories should have representatives within the government as well. Um, different aspects like that that I found very enlightening and I, I found a, a fresh breath um, from kind of like your moderate democratic candidate plans so it, it was very nice to kind of see that and she had great ideas and obviously she wanted health care for all she wanted education for those in america and uh, child child care that was affordable for americans as well unfortunately she was not able to pick up popularity especially when she was dealing with somebody like Bernie Sanders who uh, who was really fighting in the same kind of domain as her as well, um, but was a little bit, I guess, I guess he was a little bit more profound in terms of uh, coming out forward with his ideas and how he would fund them, especially for his health care plans. Um, so with that, uh, it's unfortunate to see Elizabeth Warren drop out. Also, we haven't heard who she's going to endorse. A lot of the media has been speculating that 
uh, she they were she was asked directly by uh, a reporter uh, who she she would endorse, and she said not right now. So I'm just wondering why she hasn't endorsed anybody. If anybody, she should be endorsing Bernie Sanders as their political plans and views are so closely aligned. And if she wants to see a real America changed, that's the man she should be backing. Um, but I know that she has some bitter feelings towards him. She has said some things in the past about Bernie and one of the debates, um, which made her look very negative. And I think there might be a little bit of bitterness within her. I, I don't know. If I was in her in her position, I, I would work with Bernie Sanders and try to help him gain popularity, regardless if Joe Biden was to win or not. It's more depending on your ideals right now. Um, so with that being said, we might see her flip-flop to Joe Biden and support him. Uh, we don't know yet. So we will be keeping an update with that story. And now to our second and last piece for today. Javier Perez de Cuella, the two-term United Nations Secretary General who bro brokered a historic ceasefire between Iran and Iraq in 1988 and who is later in later life came out of retirement to help reestablish democracy in his home of Peru, has died. He was 100 years old. His son, Francisco Perez de Cuella, said his father died today at home of natural causes. Current UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez called the Peruvian diplomat a personal inspiration. Mr. Perez de Cuera's life spanned not only a century, but also the entire history of the United Nations, dating back to his participation in the first meeting of the General Assembly in 1946. Gutierrez said in a statement late today, Perez de Cuera's death ends a long diplomatic career that brought him full circle from his first posting as a secretary at the Peruvian embassy in Paris in 1944 to his later job as Peru's ambassador to France. When he began his tenure at UN Secretary General on January 1st, 1982, he was a little-known Peruvian who was a compromised candidate at a time when the United Nations was held in low esteem. Serving as a UN Undersecretary General for Special Political Affairs, he emerged as the Dark Horse candidate in December 1981 after a six-week election deadlock between UN Chief Kurt Waldheim and Tanzanian Foreign Minister Salim Ahmed Salim. Once elected, he quickly made his mark. Disturbed by the United Nations' dwindling effectiveness, he sought to revitalize the world body's faulty peacekeeping machinery. His first step was to shake the house with a highly critical report in which he warned we are perilously near to a new international anarchy. With the 1982 Israeli invasion of Lebanon and with conflicts raging in Afghanistan and Cambodia and between Iran and Iraq, he complained to the General Assembly that UN resolutions are increasingly defied or ignored by those that feel themselves strong enough to do so. The problem with the United Nations is that either it's not used or misused by men member countries, he said in an interview at the end of his first year as UN Secretary General. During his decade as UN Chief, Perez de Cuera would earn a reputation more diligent, quiet diplomas, diplomacy than char charisma. He has an ambition 
amiable look about him that people mistake for through and through softness, said an aide who described him as tough and courageous. Faced early in his first term with a, thre a threatened U.S. cutoff of funds in the event of Israel's ouster, he worked behind the scenes to stop Arab forces uh, to deprive the Jewish state of its General Assembly seat. There was a muted criticism from the Arab camp that he had given the Americans the right of way in the Middle East. In dealing with human rights issues, he chose the path of discreet diplomacy. He refrained from publicly rebuking Poland for refusing to allow his special representative into the country to investigate allegations of human rights violations during the Warsaw Regime 1982 crackdown on the Solidarity Trade Union movement. In July 1986, Perez de Cuera underwent a quadruple coronary bypass operation, putting in question his availability for a second term. From the outset, Perez de Cuera had insisted that he would be a one-term secretary general. Upset with what he had viewed as member states, reluctance to pitch in to help the world body out of a financial crisis, he told the New York Times in September 1986, I don't see any reason why I should preside over the collapse of the organization. But he did come back for a second term after a groundswell of support for his candidacy including a conversation with U.S. President Ronald Reagan, who, in the words of the U.N.'s and chief spokesperson, expressed the personal support for the Secretary General. Just about all the Western countries have told him they like to see him stay on, a Western diplomat source said at the time. There is no visible, visible alternative. Perez de Cuera spent most of his second term working behind the scenes on the hostage issue resulting in the release of Westerners held in Lebanon, including the last and longest held American hostage journalist Terry Anderson, who was freed in December 4, 1991. As told, Perez de Cuera's diplomacy helped bring an end to fighting in Cambodia and the 1980-1988 Iran-Iraq War and the withdrawal of Soviet troops from Afghanistan. Shortly after, on midnight, on January 1st, 1992, he walked out of the UN headquarters to his waiting limousine, no longer the Secretary General, but having obtained his final goal after hours of tough negotiations, a peace pact between the Salvador government and leftist rebels. Mr. Perez de Cuera played a crucial role in a number of diplomatic successes, including the independence of Nam Namibia, an end to the Iran-Iraq War, the release of American hostages held in Lebanon, the peace accord in Cambodia, and his very last days in office, a historic peace agreement in El Salvador, said Gutierrez. Javier Perez de Cuera was born in Lima on January 19th, 1920. His father, a modest businessman, was an accomplished amateur pianist, according to former Secretary General. The family traced its roots to the Spanish town of Cuera, north of Segovia. He received a law degree from Lima's Catholic University in 1943 and joined the Peruvian dip diplomatic service a year later. He would go on to postings in France, Britain, Bolivia, and Brazil before returning to Lima in 1961.
where he served in a number of high-level ministry posts. He was an ambassador to Switzerland and then became Peru's first ambassador to the Soviet Union, while concurrently accredited, accredited to Poland. Other assignments, including the post of Secretary General of the Peruvian Foreign Minister and Chief Delegate to the United Nations. After leaving the UN, Perez de Cuera made an unsuccessful bid for Peru's presidency in 1995 against authoritarian leader Alberto Fujimori, whose 10-year autocratic regime crumbled in November 2000 amid corruption scandals. At the age of 80, Perez de Cuera emerged from retirement in Paris and returned to Peru to take on the mantle of foreign minister and cabinet chief for provisional president Valentin Paniwaga. Perez de Cuera married the former Marcela Tempo. He had a son, Francisco, and a daughter, Cristina, by a previous marriage. His funeral will be held Friday. So I just thought that this would be an interesting piece of story. Um, it, it really talks about, and I don't want to kind of embellish too much, but it talks about a, a, a Peruvian man who had such a great impact on the United Nations and in so many um, different diplomatic situations here. And I really want to bring to light some of these people that work really hard behind the scenes that we don't always see, especially in political matters that have an effect on so many lives. And so um, this was something that gave me some pride as a uh, half Peruvian, uh, knowing that there was another Peruvian, unfortunately, that passed away today, but he represented Peru well. And he did so in a way that he, he loved his country and wanted to come back and help it. And he wanted to see the peace brought to other countries and agreements reached between uh, different people groups. Um, so it's great to recognize this man's life um, and the impact that he has had on the United Nations. Um, so with that, I think that's a positive note to end this podcast on. Um, we're going to go into Kevin's corner right now. Uh, it's just going to be a quick one. That's when you guys, the listeners, send me advice questions. Unfortunately, I don't have any of them pulled up right now. So I'm just going to give my two cents today of a little piece of advice. My piece of advice, grab a book that uh, you'd really enjoy from your local library or from somebody that has recommended a book in once in a while that would help you build character or um, develop yourself a little bit more. Personally, myself, I picked up two books that I've been challenged by recently, and I really like challenging myself through literature and kind of using what I learn in these books or um, kind of comparing my life to whatever life I'm reading about and seeing where I can improve myself. So the first book that I've, I've been reading recently is called Essentialism. Uh, it's a New York Times bestseller by Greg McKenna, McCohen, it's the disciplined pursuit of less. So um, I, I have a real interest in minimalism and seeing kind of how I can use whatever materials that I have right now and not become a materialistic person, uh, but focus on things that are more important in my life, like family and relationships. So that is one way that I want to challenge myself and kind of own less things. So I've been diving into this book and being introduced. And it's, it's quite interesting from what I've read so far. Um, and the next book that I'm reading that I'm in love with right now is called Dreams from My Father, a story of race and inheritance. And this is by none other 
than Barack Obama, former president of the United States of America. It's amazing to see what was going on in his life and his early life, especially when he was living in Hawaii. I've just been reading he's he lived in Indonesia for a time of his life as well. Um, and what he's exposed to and the kind of person it's really created him to be. I think there's nothing like it. And he, he says at the beginning that his life isn't that interesting. But just by reading a couple of the chapters, and I'm just so fascinated with uh, where life is taking him in his journeys and how it's creating the person that he is today. So I challenge you, the listener, grab a book that will really work on yourself and um, allow you to kind of uh, look at where you're at in life, if, if you want to improve in certain aspects, or just challenge yourself in general. So I want to thank you guys so much for listening to my podcast. Remember, if you want to uh, shout me out, give me a piece of advice, you can give me a mention on Twitter. That is at Kevin underscore Hobie. If you want to check out my YouTube content, it's at youtube.com, and you just type in Kevin Hobie. Or Studio Kevin, my second channel, which for some strange reason is still blowing up. I have no clue why it's gaining so many subscribers. Please don't subscribe to that one. Just subscribe to the first channel, Kevin Hobie, please. And um, with that, I just want to remind you guys to always brush your teeth and floss. And I will see you on the next one. Bye.